Falcons are going to go out right in front of the Oilers bench. Wow. Monahan, right hands on Nugent Hopkins. Nugent Hopkins trying to come back. Now they separate. They join again. Here's the left from Nugent Hopkins. Monahan regains another shot by Nugent Hopkins. Wow. The Battle of Alberta joined by two guys we did not have on the fight card. Sean Monahan and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Crowd buzzing here at Rogers Place. McDavid kicked out. Neil will step in. Guess who? Cassian and Kachuk chat again. They're gonna, they're go. gonna drop. Here we go. Kachuk, Cassian. An anticipated fight. Cassian ends up with Kachuk down. Now they're both down. Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk with 3.25 left to go in the first period. Drop the gloves. You can just feel it brewing. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. Rory, Feb 1st is Saturday. Uh, the deadline is basically four weeks away, I guess. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk to Chris Johnston, Sportsnet Insider, to find out what he thinks of this year's deadline, which Canadian teams are going to be the most active. Can we expect a big splash from any of them? Chris is going to address all of that. We're going to talk a little uh, a little Canadians as well because they're in a unique situation with their trade spot, are they uh, are they prepared to sell? Who are they prepared to sell? But before we get there, we have to talk about what the whole world, the whole hockey world anyways, was talking about in the aftermath of the resumption of the Kachuk-Cassian rivalry, the rekindling of the Battle of Alberta. Man, it was a pretty crazy night in Alberta seeing what we saw from Nugent Hopkins and Monaghan and then of course Kachuk and Zach Cassian. That was some tasty throwback hockey. I knew you were loving yeah, it. I loved it. I loved it. I mean we didn't see the Nugent Hopkins and, and Monaghan fight so that set the tone right and as much as you couldn't see that coming I was shocked that Matthew Kachuk decided to throw down with Zach Cassian and it wasn't Cassian who Initiated. Yeah. He was playing, Matthew Kachuk wanted he was to playing do it the mind games. Drop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, g- good on him. I didn't think he needed to fight or anything like that. I mean, he played his part in, in the last time they met. He's an agitator and a skilled one at that. He, I don't think he has to lay down, but he wanted to do it. It's good for the game, I think, as long as no one's getting hurt. I mean, sure. everybody was on their seats. Everybody's watching that game for that moment, hoping that it's going to happen. And then it happens. It's great theater. It's out of the way. Cassian looks back at him after and kind of nods his head, saying, okay, we're done here now. And the rest of the game kind of played on with good physical play, no fights, and just great hockey both ways. Great skilled hockey. Goals back and forth. We got three on three. Unfortunately, it ended in a shootout, which I'm never a big fan of, but it had everything that you hoped it it, it was going to have, right? And usually those first games after the high temperature game where the player safety department is, is in attendance, usually it's a letdown because no one is going to cross that line. No lines were crossed. It was just good physical hockey. Nothing about it let down. So, I, I mean, it, it was just fantastic to watch it from beginning. And now I can't wait for Saturday's game. So, Zach Cassian obviously uh, knows where his bread is buttered. He yeah. knows what earned him a new contract with the Edmonton Oilers, getting uh, right back to that tough physical hockey, coupled with some uh, some real goal scoring this year. 3.2 
for four years kicks yeah. in next October. What do you think? So first of all, w- my initial reaction as I'm seeing it get reacted to on Twitter, everybody's saying, oh, it's an overpay, it's an overpay. Like, stop with that nonsense. Every contract is the same reaction. It's an overpay, it's an overpay, especially for a traditionally a lower lineup guy like Cassian. It's an overpay, whatever. This, to me, is it doesn't have to be an overpay. It could end up being like that. But today, right now, it's not an overpay because Cassian is just working out so perfectly next to Connor McDavid. McDavid loves having him there. Cassian is having a career year alongside McDavid. He's a bit of a deterrent and everything like that. And and we've talked about in the past how difficult it can be to play with a guy like Sidney Crosby, an elite player. And McDavid obviously is along those lines. And it's not playing out negatively for casting. It's obviously a perfect fit. Where it could start to become a bad value contract is if Cassian moves off that line. I think what this deal shows is that the Oilers and Dave Tippett have to be married to the combo of McDavid and Cassian for at least three years of that deal. And I say three and not four because if you get through the first three years of that contract and you're happy with it and you don't think it's an overpay, you're probably not going to look back after year four and say, what a terrible contract. That's right. If it doesn't work out in year four, fine. That's how it goes. But so much of what has been the problem in Edmonton over the years has been that they haven't stuck to a plan. It's been going this way. It's been going that way. And now you have long-term... Ken Holland in the GM chair, probably long-term Dave Tippett in the uh, head coaching spot. You have to move forward with one message. And by signing Cassian to four years term, I have less problem with the $3.2 million than the potential problems that could arise by having a guy like that for four years. By having him for four years, you can now not move away from the McDavid-Cassian combo. Because if you do, Cassian turns from a potentially 20 to 25 goal score, maybe a 45 to 50 point guy over 82 games with McDavid to a 10 goal, 20 point guy maybe. And then you're paying him $3.2 million, which isn't Milan Lucic level of an overpay, but it will be an overpay that you're not going to be happy about having down on your third or fourth line. It feels in some ways like a redo on Pat Maroon, who was a great fit with Connor McDavid during his time there. But then they fell out of the playoffs the year after they made it, and he was gone to New Jersey. But they've kind of recaptured a little bit about what that fit was. And what I would say about that is people might react to that and say, well, why wouldn't you just go and get Patrick Maroon then or somebody like that for a million bucks or less? Because that's what Patrick Maroon got in Tampa Bay. And I would say it's because Cassian's a way better skater than Patrick Maroon is. Like he can, no one can keep up with McDavid, but Cassian can hold his Especially own. for a guy that size. Uh, and he has got the size. Like, he's got all these all these intangibles, and he doesn't play the power play. So all of this success that he's having on offense is coming at five-on-five five even strength, which just goes to show even more how, how great of a season he has been having. So it's not just a natural, oh, he's a replaceable player, let's go and find a 750K guy. It's not that easy. This guy has proven that he can stick in this role, and so you can't go into the summer after the good season that Edmonton has had just kind of assuming you're going to find the next guy who's going to play with McDavid. You have that guy. You know you have that guy. Lock it's it just, in. again, like we've talked about with the Backstrom contract, it's a different way, but it's the price of business to keep this intact. In and you could criticize every GM all day long for overpaying and overpaying, but then 
the, the only way you would never criticize a guy for overpaying is if he never did anything. So it, it's just, it's it's the nature of the beast. Right here, right now, the Edmonton Oilers would open the playoffs at the Saddle Dome yeah. against the Calgary oh, Flames. Man. Can you think of any time in the recent past where you've <laughs> looked at such a potentially mouth-watering first-round matchup that could actually happen? Well, I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind... I mean, San Jose and Vegas have have had this thing going for a while. Going further back, I was always looking forward to LA San Jose playoff sure. series, yep. but Edmonton and Calgary. I mean, there's I'm a Canadian. There's something different about the Battle of Alberta being back. It's something that hasn't really been in full force since the '80s, right? Mm-hmm. So, having that historical blood battle back would be huge for the game of hockey everywhere, Canada and the United States everywhere. It's just great theater, and it's been building for that. As much as I was looking forward to those California series, I mean, this is just a whole nother level for me. So it looks like the Montreal Canadiens will not be part of the playoff conversation this year. They certainly hoped to be challenging all the way down the line, especially after barely missing last year. So, of course, teams are turning to Mark Bergevin and saying, well, is there anyone here who you want to to move on from? And as noted, we're going to talk to Chris Johnson about the Canadians and the rest of the Canadian teams as well. But Jeff Petrie and Thomas Tatar are the names that come up a lot. I mean, Petrie is a guy they got at the trade deadline now a number of years ago from Edmonton for a second rounder, I believe. Potentially, yeah. Mark Bergevin's best trade signed him to a six-year contract after acquiring him that, or you know, a few months later that summer. And he's been just a very, very solid right shot second pair guy. He's got one year left at around six million. I'd have to look to get it specifically right. Yeah, five and a half. Yep. Five and a half. And then Thomas Tatar, who was, as we all know at this point, the throw in and the Max Pacioretty deal six months after he had gone to Vegas from Detroit for a first, a second, and a third. That's it. Yep. Vegas ends up eating a little bit of salary, comes to Montreal and really finds himself, rediscovers his game. He's been, this is now year two where he's been a great fit. He's got another year left at a very manageable cap hit because Vegas is picking up some of the tab. Yeah. I think the sense out there really is that the Canadians don't want to move these guys unless they have to. When I look at it, I think you got to be blown away to move Petrie because they have some prospects on the back end. Alexander Romanov is coming, but yep. he's coming on the left side. Yep. Victor Mete, I still think, is going to be a very good defenseman, but he's also on the left side. They just don't have anyone who can slide into that spot on the right side. And this is a team that I still get the sense that it's okay sort of as much as can ever be okay in Montreal that they missed the playoffs this year mm-hmm. because there's still faith in the you plan can see it, what's coming but yeah they've got to they've got to be there next year or got to be knocking on the door and showing tremendous progress and if you want to be there next year I just you cannot convince me that there would be a trade out there involving Petrie that would move you closer to that goal of getting in next year. So so let me ask you, because, you know, I, I look at it and I see Carey Price and Shea Weber, and you, you've got to be pushing for the playoffs here while you've got these guys before they really start to fall off a cliff, right? And you say you would trade Petrie if you were blown away. W- what is that? Like, is it prospects and picks? Because you're looking for next year, like well, you said. Well, I, I mean, Eric Engels, our Habs man, wrote that, for Petrie, you would have to be a right shot 
defensive prospect who's ready to step in. And even then, that guy's not going to be as good as Jeff Petrie next year. I think he would have to be for someone who's already in the league or is right on the precipice. Now, Tatar is a bit of a different Ah. story. They have a surplus of forwards. I could see it. I could see more listening to offers for him. But on the other hand, what I keep coming back to with this guy, he was such found money. And he's such a great fit on the line with Philip Deneau and Brendan Gallagher. That's been the Canadians' best line for going on two years. I would expect it'll be the Canadians' best line next year if they run it back. And we know they want to make the playoffs next year. You have a much better chance with Tatar being there. And if a scenario plays out where he comes and you're in the hunt, you end up falling up just a bit short, but he sticks around and leads for nothing. Well, you got three years of this yeah. guy. I just yeah. don't see that as the end of the world. Yeah, Tatar is the interesting one to me because, and I want to ask CJ about this, uh, about the trade market and the rental market. Now, Tatar's not a rental. He's got another year on his deal. But generally, the rental market has really been getting soft on, on wingers. And I, I would say last year, the best rental winger who went, it turned out was Matt Zuccarello, did not go for a first round pick. So if you're a team out there that's looking for a winger, looking for some offensive push, you would be more likely to throw around your first round pick or your good prospect asset for a guy with term like Tatar than you would be to chase after a a Chris Kreider. And so that's why to me, it's like teams are probably calling any team that's interested in Chris Kreider, any team that's interested in a top six winger at all is probably calling Montreal right now, trying to figure out what's the price, what do you want to move in? And Montreal should want to keep them for next year. But at what point, if, if teams are going to be coming at you, offering you top dollar because he's got term and they don't want to get into that, that rental market, like what are these offers going to be? Yeah. Like it, traditionally, you look back and, and you can look, especially before the salary cap, and see all sorts of trades before the league got young for guys in their mid 30s who were 50 point wingers getting a first round pick plus in return for a trade. That's not going to happen anymore for rental wingers if you're not a top guy. That could happen for a guy with term, though. And that's where I wonder, like, what does that price really need to get to for Montreal to say, this is the guy we move in? And it's more easily to replace a Tatar, I think, on next year's Montreal Canadiens than it is to replace a a Jeff Petrie, which is why I think you're more open to exploring the idea of trading Tatar because you can, you can take on futures for him. If someone came to them with a first rounder plus, ear is pretty bent yeah. at that point, yeah. I would say. And... I mean, we'll see. I'm curious, too. Are other teams looking at Tatar and saying, well, when he went to Vegas as a rental, he couldn't stay in the lineup. So, you know, is this a guy who doesn't blend or adapt or was that just an anomaly? There's also that wrinkle to it, though, you know? Yeah, there is. But, I mean, he had a track record before then, too. Sure. And if you're the Islanders or Pittsburgh team that clearly could use another guy in the mix, knowing you're going to get two cracks, I think especially for the Islanders, that's got to have value. Then that's just it. Yeah, and I wonder about that. And I also wonder, I mean, just taking a step back from Tatar... Like what is what is Kovalchuk gonna get? Like he's a guy I assume is just gone. He's gonna get traded for whatever, and it's not gonna be for a first round pick. Like is he gonna go for a second round pick? It blows my mind that. And if he does, but again, it's you- a guy who comes from L.A. where he was just a disaster. It comes to Montreal and. Lo and behold, he's a point of game player again, playing on a seven hundred thousand dollar contract. So you could look at it and say, 
his motivation is a new contract with someone next year. And regardless of where he's playing, he's going to put up good point totals for a contender going down the stretch. Montreal could actually have a, if they want to trade Tatar and then they're going to trade the rentals that they have topped by Kovalchuk, they could end up having a pretty busy trade deadline and bring a lot back in futures, which they could, if they don't use them, flip in the summer to try and help next year's team. They already have 11 draft picks in this uh, draft, which, oh, by the way, is in Montreal. Here's what you do. You trade Tatar and you sign Kovalchuk on a dirt cheap one year. It's been a great fit. So then he stays on the right side. You flip someone over to the left side and maybe... Tatar goes out the door and you return something great and Kovalchuk steps up and kind of replaces the those 20 to yep. 25 next year. I, that that would be plan. A great. As long as he's willing to do that. Like, that's the other thing I wonder about. Like, is someone going to do something stupid and give Kovalchuk way too much money this summer because of that? I, I would be a little bit surprised, but if that's not going to happen... Montreal's going to be pushing next year. It's obviously a good fit for him. He yeah. loves the players. He's talked about how welcoming they've been to him. Like he's he's a guy they look up to. He's been in the league for so long, right, and been so productive. It just seems like a place where he, he, he should stay. It's here. very reminiscent of the Radulov situation. Just to draw the Russian parallel, where he came over and it was an amazing exactly. fit, and uh, fans are probably still a little PO'd that he ended up in yeah. Dallas. I was I was funny you say that because I was thinking watching Dallas and the Leafs last night. Do you look back at that letting Radulov go? And, and I know there was a bit of um, a negotiating battle going on between Montreal and Dallas. He was a free agent. Do you look back at that and say, they should have just given him the money? I'm a giver inner. I'm a caver. I'd be the world's worst GM because ultimately <laughs> I'd always be like, just give him the one more year. Yeah. You know, like I, definitely because it was such a dream fit in the one year that he was there, it felt like they just should. And Boy, that's back when now it feels like a real watershed moment where Markov left at that time and it seemed like yeah. Mark Bergevin was really teetering on the edge of, you know, maybe losing his job and deservedly so. And it's, they haven't been back in the playoffs, but it feels like, you know, ironically, he's more secure now because of this youth movement that's mm-hmm. happened underneath. But yeah, that was, you know, it seemed like such a match made in heaven that yeah. I was really surprised in the time that they didn't find a way to make it work. Yeah, obviously younger than Kovalchuk is not, yep. is not the, the exact same, no, but, but, but in terms of the fit, feel of it, yes. certainly yeah. very similar. All right, stick around. We've got lots more to come on Tape to Tape, including Sportsnet insider Chris Johnson on this year's NHL trade deadline. Coming back now behind the net is Brana. He has good history against San Jose. Four goals in six games in his career. Classic right side. Loose in front. Brana scores! Jacob Brana picks it up and goes high over a fallen Jones. And TJ getting hauled down at the blue line. Fighting through it is Brana. He shot! He scores! He scores! Jacob Brana has scored to give Washington a Hey, welcome back. If you're listening to this podcast, you must be into fantasy hockey. If that is the case, please don't forget to sign up for the Sportsnet Fantasy Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. There's over 50 grand in prizes to win, plus an all new 2020 Ram 1500 Sport. Rory, you might win a pool or two because of. Jakob Vrana, who probably, with apologies to Anthony D'Angelo, 
is the breakout player of this NHL uh, season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you got a couple of candidates, like maybe Elvis Merzlikens, maybe Tristan Jari could be in that by the end of the I season I think of two. a breakout as a guy who we've been talking about sure. breaking out, though, and then he does. Yes, and it has been building yeah. for Verana. Now, he, he was a first-round pick in 2014, and he was close to a point-per-game player over two seasons in the AHL. And every year that he's been in the NHL, his stats have been getting better and better. And we actually highlighted him last Last summer as a breakout player to watch because his per game rates uh, goals and points at five on five were so high he just wasn't playing a significant role on the Capitals a, a Stanley Cup hopeful team um, with a lot of veterans on it but now he's really solidly in a top six spot and he's got a 1.92 goals per 60 minutes at five on five rate which currently leads the NHL and is actually the highest mark of any player through the first 50 games in an NHL season over the last 11 years. So he's going at a level that that looks, you know, maybe not quite sustainable at that height, but sustainable as a significant goal scorer. He's on pace for, I think it was 36 even strength goals, which would make him, if he gets there, just the fourth capital in that team's history to score that many in a season. So um, again, like he's one away from tying his career high in goals already. Um, his points, he's five off of tying. So he's going to shoot past all of that stuff. And he's still just 23 years old. Like he's still getting used to this is just the start of where Verana can go. I love the player. I've loved that player for, for a while because he's been tracking towards this and he's finally hitting. So if you were able to buy low on him on your fantasy team a year ago, two yeah. years ago, I mean, he's coming through for you huge right now. He is, of course, a 2018 Stanley Cup champion. We're going to talk about other teams with cup aspirations. The, the Capitals are trying to win another one with Chris Johnson. It's trade deadline season, baby. Stick around on Tape to Tape. Overtime segment brought to you by Subway. No joke, Subway now delivers. Joining us today, Sportsnet's insider, Chris Johnson, fresh off a big roadie at the All-Star Game, Nashville, Dallas. Chris, how are you feeling? I'm uh, doing well. Just trying to churn through this trade deadline because uh, busiest time of year for the kind of job I'm involved in. Well, that's just it, man. It is trade season. Feb 1 is on Saturday. Uh, A few people out there, including yourself, I believe, talking about how this one is maybe shaping up to be a bit of a dud. Can you give us a little something to cling to and some excitement or some potential for excitement in terms of maybe getting a little action here in the next three weeks that we don't see coming yet? Well, there's definitely going to be action. I guess, you know, if I've ever used the word dead, it's more just, you know, I don't see maybe the the impact type of names uh, being available, but, you know, I would be surprised if we didn't see a number of players change teams. It's, it's, uh, historically something that's happened basically every single year. Sometimes uh, the action starts a little earlier this year. We, you know, really haven't had a trade of any consequence since the Taylor Hall deal just before Christmas time. And uh, we're, we're three and a half weeks out. So, you know, I still think it'll be busy in terms of players changing teams. I just don't know how many big headlines or surprises uh, we're going to find uh, for those that, that really enjoy the, the trade game. So parody is really celebrated by the NHL for the the close playoff races we're seeing. Nobody's ever really out. Nate Seed can knock out a one and all that stuff. But, you know, is it negatively impacting the lead up to the trade deadline in that 
so many teams still feel like they're in it and they don't want to sell off pieces. And then there are also teams like Montreal who maybe traditionally in a spot where they might want to sell off a Thomas Tatar or Jeff Petrie, but they're looking forward to next season thinking that they might be out of it now, but they can get right back into it next season because of the parity in the league. So do you think it's, it, it is negatively impacting just the excitement in the lead up to the trade deadline? Well, it's certainly having an effect. I mean, cause not only do you have teams that right now aren't willing to sell, you know, a lot of those same teams aren't ready to buy. Uh, just because they they don't know where they're going to sit even three weeks from now. I mean, it's not that long, but there's a number of games between then and now that that could cause some separation one way or another. And really all we have to look at is, you know, a division like the Pacific Division, uh, for an example. You know, go through those groups, look at the underlying numbers. I mean, which team in that division is actually good, uh, you know, which isn't. I mean, I think it's tough to tell. I can understand why in, in a few of those markets, you know, Vancouver, for example, you know, there's going to be a push on to make the playoffs and, and maybe, you know, that results in them making a trade to try to get over the hump because they've been uh, fighting to get back there for a couple of years. But, you know, there, there's certainly a chill a little bit on the market by the way uh, the standings have gone. And, and you know, I just think it hasn't really set up. I mean, there's maybe five or six teams off the top of my head that we can clearly identify as sellers at this point. You know, how many teams are buyers is not the remaining 25. And that, that kind of complicates things, I think, is everyone sort of lines up their pieces and tries to figure out what they're going to do here before February 24th. Uh, let me ask you about a team in the other Western Conference division, the Central. The Nashville Predators obviously had much higher hopes for this season. You were just through Nashville following the lease. I mean, they are still hanging around the, the playoff picture in the West, but it's going to be a tough slog for them. Do you have a sense for what might happen there? They could end up being a team that, you know, maybe moves a guy like Michael Granlin who moved last deadline. Do you have any feel for what might go down in Nashville? I, I could see, you know, if we're going to identify places for potential surprises, you know, Nashville is probably a good place to start. Um, you know, simply because obviously this was a year with a lot of expectations. It's an organization that's had a lot of success. And quite frankly, the feeling around that team and in the city uh, you know, just being there this week was was not very positive. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe some honesty being, you know, had there, you know, that the fans are uh, pretty down on, on where the, the organization's at, that the, the coaching change going to John Hines hasn't produced the immediate spark that sometimes that kind of move can make. And so David Poyle, you know, has most of his core pieces locked in for, for long-term contracts there. So I, I don't think that they're trading one of those guys, but you know, there might be an opportunity for them to sell and kind of reload on the fly and, you know, as Rory alluded to it before, you know, reasonably expect to, um, you know, be competing again next year. I mean, uh, if they had better goaltending this year to simplify things, they'd probably be in a better spot. But, you know, they're one of those teams that's now losing touch, I think, with, with realistically getting in the playoffs. If you're eight or ten points out, you'd have to win a lot of games to, to make that up uh, with this little schedule left. And so, you know, I, I know internally they haven't committed to a path yet. Uh, whether they're selling or buying, but, you know, it's starting to, to swing towards uh, where I could see them selling some players and, you know, maybe Granlin just was one of those guys. I mean, he certainly hasn't worked out, I don't think, as a fit the way they hoped uh, when they made that big deal with Minnesota last year. I'd like to ask you about the rental player market and specifically the value of Chris Kreider, who would be the best one of those kinds of players available. Last year, two first round picks were sent away at the trade deadline for a rental player, and both of those guys were centers. Teams really value that position, obviously. But 
A guy who compares to Kreider in points and came from the same team was Matt Zuccarello, who had more points at this same time last year than Kreider does. Similar point totals the two years leading up, and the Rangers couldn't get a first-round pick for Zuccarello. It was a couple of seconds, I think it was. And I look at some of the other players available on the market, and I wonder if you're going to have to give up a first-round pick for a Kreider, would you not rather try and explore getting a guy who has term left on his deal or if a rental is really all you need, kind of shoot lower for like a Tyler Toffoli who you maybe don't have to give up a first rounder for. Like, like what really is the value of Kreider? He's not a Taylor Hall that's going to bring back a first round plus, but he is the best rental. So like, where does he fit in here really? Well, it's there. You've just highlighted the million dollar question on him. You know, I think a lot of teams like him uh, for sure, especially with how well he skates. I I could see him fitting in, in, in a top six role, in some contending teams that, that will be motivated to buy them. I, you know, look at a team like Pittsburgh, um, just with all the injuries they've had there, Jake Ensel being done for the season and, and with Jim Rutherford being an aggressive shopper, you know, to me, there's, there's a potential fit there uh, for Kreider, but you know, I don't know if it'll take a first rounder. I mean, it, it, I think it really depends on, on how much competition there is there. And I think when you look at the deadline as a whole, there's, there's probably only one or two teams that are entering it thinking they, they'll even pay that price. And I think we've seen more teams in recent years shy away from the idea of paying big prices for any rental that, you know, these guys that you're getting at least one year plus uh, what's left of this season uh, tending to have more value. I just don't know how many of those players are going to move. I mean, uh, we've heard a lot of talk about, say, Jeff Petrie or Thomas Tatar in Montreal. You know, I'm not convinced either of those players uh, gets moved at this deadline, although if they did, I I think you're getting a good haul there. You know, Alec Martinez is in that situation as a defenseman out of L.A. where he probably will get traded with a little bit of term left on his deal. But on the rental market, it's it's not inconceivable to me that you're looking at uh, conditional picks for Kreider and, and it not being a first, you know, maybe a second rounder and a fourth rounder with the option for the second to become a first if he resigns with the team. I think that that's, you know, potentially the, the kind of deal – uh, you see with, with a player like this, just because teams prize those first round picks so closely. And, and, you know, I don't know anyone that has to go get him. You know, he's, he's a, he'd be a nice ad for, for a bunch of teams, you know, Boston Bruins being another one they've, they've traded for forwards at the last few trade deadlines. And I would expect them to do it again. I think they would like a, a player like him, but you know, I think they're very unlikely to surrender their first to get him. Can't let you go without getting some CanCon here. Of course, you followed the lease very closely. They made the move for for Muzzin last year. What do you see happening with the Leafs? What's your feel around that team and any other Canadian team you want to throw out there, either on the buy or sell side? Sure. Well, I think in Toronto's case, you know, they're looking to make a hockey trade, you know, essentially that they're using this opportunity where teams are open to moves to try to remake their blue line a little bit for, you know, the stretch drive now, but also in the next season because they still don't have, you know, much signed on, on their blue line. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if they could find someone who can play the right side, you know, which has been an organizational hole for a couple of years uh, and is signed beyond this year, that's ideal. And, and uh, even an Alec Martinez potentially, uh, who's a left shot but can, can play both sides, uh, and to see if there's a deal to be made there. And obviously they're most likely looking to trade from their surplus of forwards to make it happen. I wouldn't be surprised if the Leafs end up letting the deadline pass without making any move or certainly any significant move. I think they're pretty locked in on trying to address that need. And if they can't do it at this point in time, uh, they're comfortable enough with what they have, you know, that they have some cap constrictions. So they're not a team 
really that, I mean, they can bring on some salary, but we're, we're not talking uh, too much of a difference making type of player. And so we'll see how it shakes out. But, you know, I think something like the Jake Muzzin trade they made last year is what they have in mind if they can execute that. Um, I mean, essentially, if you're the Senators and this is another season where you're, you're basically in a rebuild, I think that they'll sell everything they can to get more future assets and to put themselves in an even better drafting position, even though they do already have a lot of those types of assets from their previous moves. You know, John Gabriel Pajos having the season of his career. He's a local guy. I'm sure they'd like to keep him on some level, but I'm not sure if it'll make sense with, with the kind of contract demands he can make. You know, he's, he's probably not getting a first for the same reasons we talked about with Chris Kreider. But, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver, I think, are all soft buyers. You know, they're in that, that Pacific Division race against one another. And I think that, that each of those teams would like that if it makes sense. I'd say Calgary's probably the most motivated buyer in that group just because they've already created cap space at the Michael Froelich deal. Uh, Edmonton wants to add more forward depth, but I think that they're wary of the cost, especially because they've traded away a lot of futures in the past, and Ken Holland's new on the job there. Vancouver might be hamstrung with the salary cap, might not be much they can can make happen. I think Winnipeg probably is interesting too. The Dustin Bufflin situation hangs over everything. Um, you know, they'd love to add to their blue line to help out, but they don't yet know are they going to be charged a cap hit for Bufflin this year? Uh, that's going to be a matter that that's likely going to go to arbitration, and so. You know, could impact what they can do. Um, but the good news for Canadian fans in general is I think a lot of the teams have a real chance to make a playoff push down the stretch. And, and you know, I would think the GMs of, of those teams are going to do what they can to at least add something uh, for that push to the finish. All right, bud. Well, we know it's going to be a crazy season for you. We will let you get on with your day. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you, guys. That is Sportsnet's Chris Johnson, our fine insider, talking about what may still be a very exciting deadline, Rory. I'm hoping for it. All right. That is all the time we have for you this week on Tape Today. Thanks so much to Chris Johnson for joining us. If you want to follow Rory on Twitter, it's at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on Sports. Check back next week. For more glass rattling hockey action. Tape to tape. Tape to tape.